everyone, and welcome back to Kids Under Construction. I'm Donna Tatro. This is our second podcast, and we continue to be here for you as the coronavirus pandemic unfolds. Now, as we settle in to understand that our lives will not be going back to normal for several weeks, as Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institute of Health has said, we need to have real strategies to cope as parents and families. We are certainly feeling the pressure and stress as the number of coronavirus cases are expected to go up. People are losing their jobs. The economy is in a tailspin and our beautiful children's lives have been turned upside down, unable to go to school, see friends and living in a state of uncertainty. That is difficult. This is not easy, but there are things we can do to ease the pain and use this time as a huge resilience and empathy build. There are lots of lessons to be learned, and if we can think positively and work towards self-compassion, we can get through this. As we were planning the launch of Kids Under Construction, we decided to do a podcast about middle school and mindfulness, and I wanted to talk to Dr. Judy Ho. I love her. We discussed all things middle school and how this particular time in a kid's life can be turbulent, not only for the kid, but for us parents as well. We wanted to be proactive in giving parents real solutions to everyday issues. Judy gave great advice on how to help kids manage stress and anxiety. We talked about mindfulness, something I practice with my two boys regularly. It really, really helps us as a family. Today, in the midst of the coronavirus crisis, this episode provides powerful and useful tools parents and kids can use effectively to manage the added anxiety, depression, and confusion they may be experiencing during this sometimes scary time. So please take a listen to this podcast and use the tools to get you through this time. I hope you can find something that resonates with you. Remember, we're all in this together and we will get through this together. Dr. Judy, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh my goodness, Donna. <laughs> it is such a pleasure and honor to be on your podcast. Thank you for reaching out to oh, me. I admire you. your work and you're the perfect person to not only be hosting your podcast, but also for us to have this conversation about mindfulness for our young ones. You are amazing. Thank you. <laughs> As I told you, I have two boys, one entering middle school next year. So this is top of Very mind relevant for, me. for you. Yes. <laughs> I have talked to a lot of parents about the middle school years, and it can be challenging. New schools, new friendships, trying to find your way. What is your way? How do you even know your way at 12 years old? So let's get to it. Yes. (laughs) I feel like people who say that middle school was the best time of their lives are maybe so much in the minority. I really (laughs) do not know those people myself personally. Middle school is a really tough time, and it's a rough time trying to navigate friendships, your identity, what you want to do, who you should be with, what, what you want to stand for. I mean, there's just so many decisions for these young minds to make. It's it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. And I can see the little the little brain going with my son, like, what's going to be happening? What's going to be happening? So that's what I want to talk about is the middle schooler's brain first before we get into the mindfulness and about that executive 
function component. But really, I think that if parents understand what's happening with their child's brain during this time, that will help them. And then they can also relay that information to their child so they know this is what's happening in your brain. So tell us what's going on in the brain. (laughs) Okay, so I feel like when people are entering their middle school years, it's a real awkward phase because you're in between phases of development in many ways. You're not the little elementary school kid anymore where things are simple and their brains are a little bit more concrete in terms of how they think about rewards and consequences. But they're also not so developed the way that you would expect somebody like an adult who's in their early 20s where their executive function development is almost complete and you can have much higher level conversations about morality and identity with them. So they're kind of in this weird middle place where they are starting to grow up. They hit puberty. So they (laughs) kind of look like they're adults almost, but they're not. They're still they're still very young and their brain development is still very young. As I just mentioned, executive function development doesn't even complete until someone's in their mid-20s, but certainly so much of the growth is happening more around the late middle school to high school years. And so in middle school, though, their executive (laughs) function is really still not all that together. But we look at them as parents and adults and mentors and teachers, and, and we think they should get certain things. But they're not really going to comprehend it to the level that I think sometimes we would like them to yet. And so that leads to a lot of miscommunication between adults and middle school children. So when a parent is cognizant of this, how can then they step back and have that space and know, okay, yeah, you forgot your homework. Yeah, you forgot your lunch again. You forgot, you forgot. At this point, I've been talking to my kids about executive function and they'll just say, sorry, it's my executive function. It's oh, off. darn it. They're using it against you. <laughs> yes, But if parents know this, it can kind of just slow things down and kind of relax the situation. Like it doesn't have to be like, oh, my gosh, you're the only kid who's forgotten their homeworker. Right. Exactly. Well, and I think also a lot of middle school preteens or teenagers, they're at a place where they're starting to test limits, which is totally developmentally normal. But I think sometimes as adults, we look at them and we think, oh, well, if you can say no to me and tell me all the things you're not going to do, why can't you do the things that I ask you to, right? And so I think that that also creates an inherent conflict. But I think at this stage, a lot of times when we think about psychological theory, these preteens or early teenagers are just starting to learn who they are. They're starting to get in touch with the concept of identity, even if they don't know what it really means yet. (laughs) And so I think part of that pushing back is totally healthy. They're learning to say no. They're learning to find what their boundaries are. And I think as parents, yes, we have to have more patience with them, but also we need to be able to actually set some other limits in terms of Yes, you can say no to me, but I'm still your parent and you live in my house, so you can say no all you want, but certain things are kind of non-negotiables. And these are still going to be the rules, but they may not be able to implement it the first time. Okay. And you may have to be on them a bit more and and repeat yourself because that's how they learn. And sometimes the first time you say something, they're not even listening. And so, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just like tuned out and thinking about a million things. And and not to mention, when I was growing up, we didn't have the prolific social media use, right? And right. so it's hard to get their attention. Sometimes they're on their phone, they're texting, they're looking at something, and you're trying to talk to them. So sometimes I think it's also about making sure that there's eye contact and there's no distraction before you offer a direct 
corrective so you don't get frustrated when they don't do it later. I love that. Okay. I love that. So (laughs) now let's talk mindfulness. From research, we know that students who meditate before an exam perform better than students who do not. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness practice can improve concentration. And really most important for me as a parent, mindfulness-based interventions have been demonstrated to reduce the symptoms of anxiety, stress, and depression. Three things we know are rising in our youth today. Can you talk about why mindfulness meditation is so important and why it might be kind of a hard thing to introduce to your young kid, but why it's so important? Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned this and also those terrifying statistics. You know, we know that now there's more and more teenagers, especially teenage girls who are talking about things like severe depression and suicidal ideation, that that is at an all-time high. And there's a lot of different reasons for this. Sometimes people think it's social media. Sometimes people just think that people are more aware of their feelings. But whatever the case is, it's an issue that we have to address because when you couple that with the impulsivity of a teenager's brain, they may actually act on something when really it's not in their best interest and they may even harm themselves if they get to the point where they feel really desperate and don't know if things are changing. So mindfulness comes in because it is a easy to practice coping strategy that can help reduce anxiety and depression, as you mentioned, and help people to focus better and for their brains to be more optimized. And we have lots of research that Shows that. In fact, they've looked at the uh, typical person who says, I do a daily or near daily mindfulness practice of some sort. And you can see that their executive functioning tends to be heightened, that there's more activity in parts of the brain where they're making decisions. Wow. And it doesn't take that much. It takes anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour a day of mindful practice for those effects to occur. And people, I think, have a misconception of mindfulness. They think we're just sitting there in a meditative state, cross-legged on a carpet and no speaking. And I guess that's one way of meditation, but that is definitely not my favorite way. And I think for children to get into the idea of meditation or mindfulness, we have to engage them with some of these other types of ideas that are more active and a little bit easier to access. So what's an example of one of these types of mindful meditations? So I really advocate for a lot of the teenagers that I work with a walking meditation, a moving meditation. So we'll just go take a walk outside. So, you know, when we're in the middle of a session, I'll say, let's do a mindfulness practice together. And they're like, we don't like meditation. I'm like, well, we're not going to go meditate. Why don't we just walk down to the nearest coffee shop and, you know, you can buy a juice and um, and then we'll walk back. And they said, well, that's not mindfulness. I'm like, but it is. And I'll show you how it is. And so literally when we walk, we just really take in our surroundings. And when I first started to do this, I was amazed at just walking in my neighborhood and how much I didn't even notice the things around me. And I take that walk all the time, right? But once you actually become intentional and you say, focus on your surroundings, I didn't realize, for example, that there was a tree in a place or that this house had this different color that I never noticed, right? Until you really attune to your environment. So really a, a walking meditation is just walking and taking in what's around you with your senses and sometimes even narrating it like, oh, I see a dog on the sidewalk. I see a blue car right there. It can be that simple and it can just be a few minutes. And the idea is that you're directing your attention to the current experience as opposed to what we often do where we're walking down the block and we're making our to-do list in our head or worried about something that's going to happen later in the day. So it's really about just attuning to the present moment. And that's what brings down the anxiety and the depression because you're able to be in the present moment. Is that what 
the specific what you're saying? Yeah. And you know what's so crazy is it sounds so simple, deceptively simple. But the reason why it works so well is anxiety and depression and all of those negative feelings or thoughts that we use to beat ourselves up with, they only plague us because they're rooted in the past or the future. So when your thoughts are living in the past, for example, past mistakes, past transgressions, ways in which people have hurt you, or they're rooted in the future, like what's going to happen to me once I graduate? I don't have a plan. I don't have anybody to go to the dance with next week. What if I don't make it into the volleyball team when they have the auditions next week or the tryouts next week? Those are the things that cause stress and anxiety and depression. But if we focus on just the present moment, for example, right now, you and I, Donna, we're just in a room talking to each other. Right. So there's nothing to be stressed about because we're just having a conversation. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) So when we're in present moment, there is no stress. And, And even if the present moment all of a sudden presented itself with an emergency, like the building was all of a sudden on fire. Okay. You would just do what you needed to do. Your fight or flight would kick in and we would get ourselves out of this building and rescue ourselves. But it's not so much the worry. It's then you're just in action, right? It's the anticipation that actually causes anxiety and depression for a lot of people. So people, for example, who think about doom and gloom situations. Well, what if what if the building gets on fire, but it's not on fire now, right? So that's the idea of why when we put our mindset in the present moment, why the anxiety and the depression tend to dissipate for most people. And that's what makes so much sense now that you're talking about this with the middle schoolers, because what they're thinking is, am I going to make friends? Am I going to get the A or the F? Am I going to make the team? And instead bring it. I love this. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting what I find also with teenagers. And certainly we were all teenagers once. And I actually remember (laughs) how much weight I put on certain things that obviously are not important now. But I think it's a combination of worrying about all the things that could happen. Am I going to get invited to this party? Who am I going to talk to at lunch would have had to sit by myself, right? But on top of that, teenagers, because of their sphere of influence and what's going on in their life, everything feels so weighty too. Like if I don't have someone to sit with at lunch, I'm going to die. You know, people just really are so dramatic, (laughs) but they are because it really is truly important to them in that current time frame. That is like one of the biggest problems they've had to deal with in their little lives. You know, (laughs) once you become an adult, you're like, wow, this stuff doesn't matter. But that's hindsight. You know, we're all much better with hindsight. But I mean, I'm sure you remember too, Donna, when we were younger, like the kind of things you would worry about. And now you just realize- they don't really matter. So I think it's both of those things. It's the fact that they worry about things in the future or worry about maybe their past mistakes or, oh my gosh, that was so embarrassing. But then on top of that, everything feels so much more important than it truly is. And so that just, that can cause a ton of stress. And of course, depression for some of our teenagers. For sure. And I think that if parents and myself as a parent can really like dig deep and understand that that's kind of maybe what's going on. Maybe that's why I've met in a little attitude right now. Maybe they're thinking about. So it's just yeah. kind of brings this awareness, I think. Now, I want to talk to you, too, about peer pressure, but in the context of positive peer pressure, mm-hmm. how do you help your kid, your middle schooler, who's going in, might be kind of trepidatious about certain friends. How do you guide them to positive peers? Well, we know that for all human beings, but certainly for our younger minds, observation is one of the most important ways of learning. And 
there's the classic Bobo doll study that was done by Albert Bandura, where basically they presented these kids with a Bobo doll. And the kids would just watch from another room, looking into the glass and seeing an adult interact with a Bobo doll. And if they saw an adult punching it and hitting it, well, when they got into the room of the Bobo doll, they would do the same. If they saw an adult speaking nicely to it, giving it a hug, maybe playing like pretend tea with them, then the kids would go in and they would play with them very harmoniously. And so observation is everything. And so if you can actually let these students have that positive influence, even if they're just watching the person, even if they don't even interact with the person, that could be really, really helpful for them. And so the great thing that we know from research is that it doesn't have to even be in person. So sometimes if you're like, well, I don't know, you know, the the friends that my my teenager has, I don't love them. And I don't know if there's any good positive peers that I feel comfortable right now exposing them with. Well, even if you show somebody in a documentary, even if they're just observing somebody, even in the context of a TV show, that still does have some effect. And so I think it's really important as adults to have what we call shared screen time. Um, So shared screen time would be, okay, great. You know, you would love to just watch Netflix all day by yourself or be (laughs) on Instagram, but let's spend 30 minutes watching something together as a family and then expose them to some of these more interesting people who they may look up to, even if it's across a TV screen, Um, taking them to volunteer opportunities, because there you'll be able to meet a lot of really cool individuals who want to give back. And just by interacting with them, you're exposing your teen. And it doesn't have to be every single day, but even if you had that built in once a week, whether it's that shared screen time of something positive or having an exposure to maybe a volunteer or community event, that can really help set the teenager on a different path. Because again, they're exploring identity right now. So they may actually latch onto one of these ideas and say, well, you know what? I really like what that person said the last time that I went to this community event. And I want to look into it more now. Okay. What about um, if a kid is in a situation they don't know how to get out of and they know it's not the right situation, whether it's vaping or, um, I don't know, sexting, things that we didn't have to deal with and that now we have to really have these conversations with. Um, our kids. And so I like to think about like, how can we get them a strategy of the exit? How can we help them exit a situation that they don't want to be a part of and that they know they really shouldn't be a part of? Yeah. How do you help that? Well, I think there's a few steps. First is keep that communication line open. It's so hard as parents and adults who care about these kids to not be a little judgmental when we go in there, maybe a little <laughs> emotional. So like definitely check your own emotions at the door. Okay. You can do a little mindfulness exercise yourself <laughs> before you get okay. in there. Okay. Um, and, and just be open with them. Just, just ask them questions and, and try to imagine that you're taking a stance of curiosity, which is of course so hard because as a parent, you want to just jump right in if you hear something very concerning but try to withhold that judgment because otherwise they're just not going to come to you. So try to act curious, but not interrogative, you know? Well, tell me more about that. You know, so, okay, so they offered you to vape with them. What did you do next? As opposed to, well, you didn't, you didn't do it, did you? That's such (laughs) a common thing that we would do as parents. But you have to just say, oh, well, then what did you do next? Like, tell me the story. Like, think about it that way. Tell me your story. And then after that, what I find is really helpful with teenagers is you not only have to give them an actual plan of this is what you might say, you know, almost scripting it out for them so that they actually have concrete steps to follow. Like the next time this happens to you at a party, 
here's your exit strategy. One, do this. Two, call parents, you know, actually walk them through it. But the third thing that really causes it to be more cemented in their minds is for them to argue against why that particular behavior is so bad. And so ask them to take that stance as opposed to you as a parent telling them, well, you know vaping is bad because X, Y, Z. <laughs> it's actually like, well, you tell me why vaping is bad. So some of the things about vaping that people like are sometimes people say that they feel relaxed. Like it's fun because then you're social with your friends. But can you tell me some things that you think that would make vaping not so good? And you make your teenager tell you that themselves. And the research shows that if they've thought through it in their heads and they had to produce the problems with an issue, that they're more likely then when they're confronted with it to say no and to act on the script that you gave them earlier. So then instead of you telling them what to do, it's almost like they're coming up with the story, mm-hmm. they're internalizing why and why it's meaningful to them yes. to get out of it. Exactly. And so you it's almost like um, a method of motivational interviewing, which we sometimes use with people who are trying to make a behavioral change, whether it's cutting out sugar or stopping drinking alcohol when they know that it's bad for them and they're starting to go down a path of maybe alcohol use disorder. It's about asking them and meeting them where they're at. So instead of saying, well, you need to quit alcohol because obviously it's bad for you. um, It's more like, well, why do you think somebody might want to quit alcohol? Why is that a problem? And you make them come up with it themselves because then it really becomes more a part of who they are and they feel more internalized about it. And it's not about a power struggle with their parents. And it's there. They're getting the empowerment from it because they're making the decision and not the parent. Exactly. Right. So they're the ones who are saying no and they have reasons, internal ones to say no. And that is also really helpful because then when a peer will say, well, why not? then they have an excuse, right? And so one of the teenagers that I work with in my practice, he is a big sports person. You know, he's on almost every single team in his school. And one of the reasons why he says no to drugs is because he wants to continue to be a high-performing teenager in his sports. And so that it's great because then he tells me, well, you know, I went to a party and they said, you know, do you want to smoke some pot with us? Do you want to do X, Y, Z? And he said, no, because that's going to compromise my performance. I have a game tomorrow. But that was his own reason. And when he said that, people kind of got it. They're like, Oh, well, yeah, I guess you're an athlete. And still people were like, well, just one time. He's like, no, I really don't want to jeopardize my my team. You know, I want to really be able to do the best that I can when I show up tomorrow because I'm on the starting lineup and I don't want to disappoint anybody. And, you know, eventually they left him alone because those are his reasons as opposed to, well, my mommy and daddy said no. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, yes. as, right. <laughs> as teenagers get older, teenagers right. get made fun of, you know? Right. Yeah. Now, what if you're not that sports kid? What if you don't have the hobby or you don't have a reason, can you tell your kid to lie about something or is that the wrong message? No. Like what do you what do you do if if that kid isn't really doesn't really have something that they're they can use as an excuse. And I think it's about finding out exactly what your kid is about, which is why taking that stance of curiosity when you're trying to get to know your kid is so important, kind of focusing on the process. So these are information that hopefully you'll be coming across when you have those dinner conversations. And instead of saying, well, did you hang out with Bella again? Because I hate that kid. It's more like, what did you do with Bella? Did you did you hang out with her recently? Oh, what did you guys do? You know, what did you guys talk about? So hopefully you start to realize the things that are important to your teen. And when teenagers uh, utilize substances, there's a lot of ammo you can use once you know what they care about. Like if you have a teen who cares about their grades, it's like, well, if you use substances, did you know that if you use, for example, marijuana, even once a week before the age of 18, that it could lead to your IQ being depressed by 10 points. And that is 
30 percentile. So you can go from somebody who's in the top, you know, 10 to 20 percentile of the population all of a sudden to like just a very average person. So if your kid is somebody who cares about grades, that might be a way to go is talk about the cognitive function. Okay. If your kid is into the way they look, which come on, all teenagers are, <laughs> you, can, you can tell them that substances can ruin and wreck their skin because it does. It messes <laughs> with your skin right. and it messes with your development physically, you know. And so if they seem like they're really into their looks, you'd be like, well, well your <laughs> hair is whatever you did. And yeah, exactly. So you can kind of, did you know this? And again, it's more just like, did you know this? As opposed to, well, you shouldn't do it because then your skin's going to be so ugly. But it's more just, okay, well, just so you know, if you use it, your skin's going to look real bad. But <laughs> if you really want to know more, I mom can give you some articles. But I just want to let you know that that's an issue if you decide that you want to use XYZ. And so sometimes it's just helpful to really find out exactly what it is that they're into and then giving them some information and be like, it's just food for thought, okay? I mean, obviously, you know, you know, as your parents, we don't want you to be using substances, but you need to find the right reason for you. And just so you know, we've been looking at some studies and, you know, it makes your skin look really bad. It makes you break out and you look a lot older and I'm sure you don't <laughs> want to look that old, you know? It's right. crazy. You don't no. want to be that kid who looks like you failed high school five times and you're still a senior, like a super senior, you know? And, and sometimes that, that does work with the teenagers. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to find what motivates them. And they may not tell you right away, but they're going to think about it internally and they're going to make their own decisions, you know? Yeah. And just being really curious and really kind of educating them, too, through the process. What I'm wondering, too, um, when we talked about mindfulness up at the beginning and all the things that kids are worried about. How do we how do we start off a day with positive expectations or how do we how do we get our kids to go from kind of the negative thinking mm-hmm. to the positive thinking? And I I, I really like gratitude mm-hmm. as a part of that. But what would you suggest if you've got a kid who kind of goes to the negative thinking more than not because yeah. that's he's concerned or she's concerned. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of great coping strategies for this, but first normalize it because we all have negative downer thoughts, every single person, you know, and, and it's really just about what you do with those thoughts when you have them. And so tell your kid, it's cool. We get it. You know, even bring yourself into the picture. Mommy feels like that sometimes too, you know, so I totally understand. But because the average human being has 50,000 thoughts a day, you Crazy. can't be, I know, <laughs> like you can't be paying them any mind, not all of them anyway, or else your brain would explode. And so it's really about being able to balance out the thinking and also to put less emphasis on it if it doesn't have a utility. So the two techniques that I like to teach um, my teenagers is to tell them step one Let's make a new thought, but with the form of yes, but. So yes, I'm not looking forward to today because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get made fun of at lunch again. Okay. But I have made a couple of new friends and I believe that they will support me if I say, let's go sit on the corner of the yard today to have our lunch just so that I can stay away from the people who might actually come and tease me right? And so it's really about recognizing what's not so great about a situation, but also then recognizing that, hey, I'm a work in progress and things are starting to get better. 
sometimes teenagers will say, oh, you know, I really wish that um, I made the team. You know, I was I was trying out for a team or I wanted to be in the drama club. I didn't get in. And even then you can use the yes, but technique. Yes, I didn't get into the drama club this time, but next month there's going to be an audition for a community play and I'm going to try out for that and see okay. what happens, right? So getting them to become used to this idea of like a balanced thought. Like it's okay to have the negative side of things, but sometimes we only focus on that and we don't see the other things. We don't see what we're doing that's helpful. So why don't we also see the other side and try to construct a new thought that at least takes both of them into account, which usually makes people feel better. There's more hope. There's something else to look forward to. But if that doesn't work, and sometimes it doesn't, because you wake up and you're just in a really negative mood and you're like, I'm not doing the yes but today. I just right. can't even go there. Right. I can't even see the positive right now. So then what do you do? The coping strategy then is to try to distance yourself from your negative thoughts. Your negative thoughts do not have to define you and they don't have to determine how you feel or how you act for the rest of the day. And the technique that I like to teach is a technique called labeling. So this technique, you just label the thought for what it is, which is just, it's a mental event. It's not you. It's not part of you. It's not your identity. And so if you have a thought like, I'm a loser, which of course, kids have those thoughts of all course. the time. Adults do too. Yeah. And so if kids are like, I'm a loser. Well, if you have a thought like that, it sounds like it's already happening. I'm a loser, period, the end, it's me, right? But if you can add a sentence in front of that negative thought, and that sentence would be, I'm having the thought that. Okay. That makes a completely different sentence because then it's, I'm having the thought that I'm a loser. It already distances you more from that label, right? I'm a loser is like, that's me. But if it's, I'm having the thought that I'm a loser. Okay, well, it's just a thought. Is it true? It's probably not. That's how I feel. But it's a thought nevertheless, and it doesn't have to define me. And you can use that for anything. You know, I'm going to get an F today in my test. I'm having the thought that. I'm going to get an F on my test. That's a very different type of feeling that it evokes rather than I'm getting an F because then it feels like it's just going to happen. And so when you do that, if the child still mm -hmm. is resistant, mm -hmm. do you then just let it be and just let it walk away instead of try to force this positive thinking onto them? Because mm -hmm. to me, sometimes I feel like I'll try to go into that positive mode. Mm -hmm. I will absolutely use what you just said as well. But if there is that resistance still, mm -hmm. what do you do as a parent? Do you just step back and let it be and be okay with the fact that they just don't feel okay yeah. today. I think it's okay to always validate that their feelings are totally okay, no matter what they're having. But the second technique, which is labeling, doesn't place a judgment on positive thinking at all. It's actually not positive thinking because you're not changing the thought. So if you have a thought that you're going to get an F, you're not saying, no, go in there and say, I'm going to get an A today. Like they're going to slap <laughs> right. you if you say that to them. <laughs> That's so, what I do. Slam the door. <laughs> yeah. So no. So, so the, the labeling technique, really, the beauty of it is just like you're letting the thought be what it is, but you're just reminding yourself that it's a thought. Like, I'm having the thought that I'm getting an F. Is it going to happen? I don't know. But it doesn't have to, you know? Like, okay. when you say, I'm going to get an F, it just feels like it's already happening. So if you just say, I'm having the thought that, that's actually not positive thinking. It's more just distancing yourself from the thought. But another way that I like to do this, especially because you don't want to shove positive thinking down a kid's throat, <laughs> right. is, um, is to ask them, is the thought workable? I also like this technique. So basically, okay. a workable thought is one that actually is going to move your life forward. And a not workable thought is one that's going to keep you trapped or make you feel bad. And so it's sort of like, well, is this thought workable? Like, is there something you can do about it? Like, if you think you're going to get an F, does it mean, well, do we have time? Do you want to study some more? Like, would you like to do something about it? Or it's just a thought that you're having. And if you keep 
rehearsing that thought over and over, it might actually end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. So is the thought workable or not? Then it's like, okay, then do we pay attention to this thought or not? If it's workable, let's pay attention to it. Let's problem solve it. If it's not workable, then try to pay it no mind. Try to distract yourself at least because this thought isn't doing you any good. And just by thinking it isn't going to prevent the problem either. Right. So I think that takes a little bit of finessing. Okay. And I feel like that is something that you can introduce to your kid and you'd probably have to repeat it multiple times for them to really understand that. But when they have a negative thought, it's like, yeah, sometimes you just want to wallow and maybe you just want mom and dad to leave you alone. But if you want a technique, here's one, you know, so you offer it, but in sporadic doses, right? Okay. You don't, not every time do you want to be like, well, take out your gratitude journal because the kid will <laughs> right. literally right. run away from you. Right. 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 Like, I don't want to do self-development right now. Like, I mean, I think it's, it's okay to want to resist those things. And I think it's also good to give your kid the message. And you know what? Some days, if you just don't care and you want to wallow, fine. Do it. Okay. Do it. But but not all day long. You know, I'm going to give you one hour to wallow in your room. Do it. And then in an hour, I'm going to come get you and we're going to start your homework or we're going to, you know, start dinner together or whatever. You know, so give them a limited amount of time just to feel whatever they're feeling and let them know it's okay. So a little bit of space. Yeah, I think that's okay. I think that's <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> so because I have you here and I would love for you to do this with your expertise, will you lead us through a mindful meditation that might work for a kid who's having a rough day. Yeah. Or maybe even if you think how to start the day, whatever you think yeah. would be most beneficial. Definitely. One of my favorite mindfulness uh, meditations is actually one that can be done in easily under five minutes and sometimes even three minutes. And um, it's called thought clouds or thoughts in the, uh, thoughts in the sky. And the idea is that sometimes we have a negative thought and we just hold on to it so tight and so hard and we analyze it to death and we <laughs> think about all the ways it's going to ruin our lives. Been there, done that. Been there, we all do it. <laughs> yeah, every human being does it. It's built into our biology. So one that I really love to do, whether it's in the morning to kind of start off your day as part of your morning routine or when you're in the middle of your day and you feel super stressed and overwhelmed, um, we'll go ahead and start this together. But the, the idea behind it is that when we look at clouds in the sky, if anybody's ever done that, and they just lay in the grass and look up at the sky, it's really a very relaxing and mesmerizing activity because the clouds just keep changing and moving and sometimes slow, sometimes fast, but they never stay in one place. And that's kind of how we should attack our thoughts when they're bothering us, sort of don't be so sticky to them. Don't stick to them. Just untether yourself from an individual thought. Okay. Let them happen, but let them float out of your periphery too. And if they come back, fine. You know, it's just like the way that clouds operate. So we can start this meditation by just taking a couple of deep breaths and just inhale and exhale. And we can do a couple more. Inhale. One more, inhale. Okay, and just keep breathing on your own. And in your mind's eye, try to picture the sky. And in this blue sky, you see lots of different clouds. And they're all different shapes and sizes and colors. And they're all kind of just drifting around. There's not necessarily a specific motion to these clouds, 
but they they move. They're just moving around and and just kind of get acquainted with that for a little bit and just picture in your mind's eye a beautiful blue sky with some clouds drifting around. And continuing to breathe and focusing on this visual imagery of these clouds, now I would like you to turn your attention to your thoughts. Just notice what's rattling around in your brain. Are you thinking about something you might be excited about? Or maybe there's something that you're worried about? Or maybe you're going over the things that you still have to do for the rest of the day? Or maybe thinking about a past mistake or an argument that you had with somebody you cared about and wondering when you guys are going to patch things up. But whatever thoughts you're having, just notice them and just remind yourself that you don't have to judge them. And you also don't have to go down a path of trying to analyze them or understand them at this one point. Just notice that they're there. And one by one, as these thoughts are coming to your conscious mind, just imagine you're imprinting each of these individual thoughts on a cloud in the sky. And when the next thought pops up, imprint it on the second cloud. And then the next thought that pops up, put it on a third cloud and so on. And just like real clouds in the sky, the clouds are going to move. They're going to drift. They're going to drift from one side of your visual field and your mind's eye to another. And don't try to hold on to any of them because it's not possible to hold on to clouds. They're going to move in the ways that they do. Just let these thoughts be imprinted onto these clouds and let them shift around and move around in the sky in your mind's eye. And if they leave your peripheral vision, that's fine too. Don't feel like you have to follow a specific cloud until you can't see it anymore. Just let them come and go as they do, reminding yourself that this is a great way to deal with thoughts that are stressful. Because a lot of times we'll hold on to a thought over and over again and we'll try to analyze and understand and problem solve. But sometimes it just makes us feel worse. But if you can imagine every time a thought pops up, imprinting it into a cloud in the sky and just letting it drift out of your visual field, it's just going to be a great reminder that you are not your thoughts, that thoughts are not part of who you are or your identity. And thoughts are external. They're mental events that are external. They're not about you. They're just thoughts that you have. You're still in control of them. And if you can remind yourself that these thoughts are just like clouds in the sky, it'll help you to de-stress and handle what you need to handle in this current moment in time. And now I want you to bring your attention back into the room, take a couple more deep breaths, and slowly become more aware, instead of your thoughts, becoming more aware of what's going on in the room. So you can focus on an object in the room and ground yourself to this object and remind yourself where you are and what time it is. And just remember any time that you have a few minutes to spare and you want a way to de-stress, you can always return to this activity of thoughts on a cloud. That was so beautiful. Oh, yay! Oh, my gosh. 
It's one I of my favorite it. meditations. I loved it. Because it's very visual. It's so visual. Yeah. I was thinking about dog. I see dogs. I yeah, see you're clouds. Like, yeah, sometimes <laughs> thoughts are images yeah. or memories. Yeah, and I find that because I actually struggle with visualization. So the first few times I was learning this meditation, um, I had to uh, YouTube Thoughts on a cloud, because I know this is a type of meditation that gets practiced. And there's lots of great recordings, by the way. So if you like that or you want a different version of that, if you just Google it, there's so many different ones. And I remember the first one I found was one where you look at the YouTube video and it's like clouds in the sky. I was like, I need to have something to look at, you know, like right. my mind's eye's not working. Or sometimes I've done this technique when I'm actually at a park. I'll just like look up at the clouds and I'll actually imagine my thoughts on the real clouds that I can see in my visual field. So there's a lot of different ways to practice it. And that's why I think it's so good for teenagers because sometimes teenagers feel a little concrete. They're like, yeah. I can't imagine it. It's like, okay, well, let's go to the park. Let's go to the park. Let's do this together. And it's really nice when you actually have clouds to look at and then you can imagine the thoughts going on the actual clouds. I love that. Thank oh, you so much. I'm so glad you liked it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for talking to me and taking the time on Kids Under Construction. I mean, your expertise is amazing. I'm really, really appreciative. Thank you so much. Oh, and thank you. What an honor to be here. I love it. And I know that you're going to have your own podcast so people yes. can listen to all of everything you have to <laughs> offer to the world. Tell us about it. Thank you, Donna. So yes, I have a podcast coming out. It's called The Supercharged Life with Dr. Judy. And in this podcast, it's all about giving people practical tips that they can act on that day to improve their lives in a lot of different ways. So we're going to be tackling all kinds of themes. I'll have a lot of amazing guests coming down the pike who we can learn from, but we're going to be tackling themes like work and career, parenting, love relationships, friendships, depression, anxiety, trauma, how to motivate yourself, how to hack happiness, you know, but in every single podcast, my goal is that we will have a scientifically based takeaway so the person can apply it to their life that day and start to see a difference. And so thank you so much for asking about it. I'm super pumped about it. And I'm all about giving people tips, which is why I love what you're doing in your podcast so much, because you're all about trying to give parents tools. I mean, there's no real handbook on how no. to raise a kid. <laughs> well, like you, you said, like everybody's so unique, but you yes. just got to build your own toolbox, basically. You really Find do. the ways that you can utilize these techniques to your child's personality and yours, right? Because you have preferences too on how you like to parent. Absolutely. And I am going to be listening to you thank all you. the time. I cannot wait. So thank you again. Oh, really thank appreciate you, Donna. It. So great to meet you. So to wrap up this episode, middle school is a whole new world for your child. Be patient during this time with yourself and your child. You are both going through this new phase together and the tool here is practicing mindfulness in a way that works for your family. Thank you again to my guest, Dr. Judy Ho. That's all for now. Hope to have you back for the next Kids Under Construction. And don't forget to download and subscribe. See you later.